Welcome to the Red Door Church Sermon Podcast. Red Door Church is a church seeking to transform the city of Pretoria by the power of the gospel. We are distinctly mission-minded, community-cultivating, and city-loving. Please enjoy this week's sermon, and don't forget to follow and continue the conversation by sharing with those around you. Thank you, Auntie Rosemary, for that reading. It was very long, um, but you read it really well, so thank you. It's really good to be with you all this morning, and it is a privilege to be able to have the opportunity to preach the Word of God. So thank you, thank you, Rain, and thank you to you as a church for this opportunity. Um, happy Father's Day. I know it's been said, but, but happy Father's Day. It's a privilege to have my dad hear me this morning as I bring the Word. Uh, so yeah, Dad. From the front, happy Father's Day. Big shout out. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, my name is Jason. Um, I've been told to leave these two things out because they're not, um, I've said it too many times now, but I'm going to say it. I'm from Santon in Joburg, so come on. I'm I'm glad that I'm not the only Joburg boy here today. Um, And I am a massive fan of Manchester United. I know it doesn't seem like I'm a massive fan right now, but yeah, I feel the same. <laughs> I'm like following the news every day, hoping something changes, but this is why we don't put our, things, our hope and our faith in the things of this world. How cool is that transition? Um, but more about myself, I am a resident, a church planning resident here at Red Door Church, um, and basically that means that I have the privilege of being here with you as a church as you plant and as we plant and I get to study Pastor Rain a little bit more closely, uh, get to see how he makes certain decisions, how he envisions the church, and it's been such an amazing journey to see how God works through us as a church as we arrive early on Sunday mornings, whether it's hot or cold or rain or shine, um, so even English people get bundles. Um, but it's so great to be a part of this and to, to be able to evaluate it from up close. Another thing about me that you might not know, some of you will know this, but others might not, is that when I was younger, I was a massive fan of a particular music artist, and his name was Eminem. Big surprise, big surprise. So, as I've evaluated myself over the years, and thought more about that time when I was basically addicted to this guy, it sounds very strange when I put it that way, I realized why I enjoyed his music so much. So I was bullied at school. I know that, yeah, the bully, the bullied becomes the bully, right? I was bullied at school, and I realized, or at some point, I got to a point where I was like, you know what? I'm bullied because I'm nice to people, and I just take this from people. I just allow them to treat me this way. I just allow them to to disrespect me, and I don't do anything about it. So I'm done with being a nice person, and I think it was around that time that I found this guy who, if you've listened to any of his songs, guy's pretty angry, right? He's very angry, he's got a lot of resentment towards people in his life, and I latched onto that, because I was like, I want to be like him. I don't want to take nonsense from people, I want to be just like him in how he treats people, how he responds to people, how he speaks to people, how he speaks about people. And so I very quickly found my identity in this guy named Eminem and found comfort in it. I felt like I was finally someone because I had something that I'd latched onto and that I could actually talk to people about. And as time went along, 
I got to a point where I realized that I'd actually begun damaging relationships with the people around me because of the way that I was treating them. Because I wanted to be so much like this guy named Eminem because I thought I found my identity and I found my comfort and I found my security and even a bit of popularity, if you want to call it that, in this guy called Eminem. But eventually got to a point where I realized that this has actually gone too far. Where I thought that I found the things that I was looking for for so long, I realized how empty it was. Because, yeah, maybe I found a way to tell the guys who were bullying me to go away in a not so polite way. And I'd learned how to be a harder person and how to be stronger in myself. I, it was empty. Because I damaged the relationships with my friends, I damaged the relationship with my family, I damaged the relationship with people in my church. Uh, who were trying to care for me. And it's all because I was pursuing this one thing. And this isn't me standing up here and saying, don't listen to Eminem. Because Eminem actually wasn't the problem. My problem was that I was trying to find my hope, my security, my identity, my comfort in someone who was just as broken and as fallen as me. Someone who was actually no different to me. Someone who couldn't reach from the outside and actually help me. The guy doesn't even know my name didn't care about me. And I got to a point where I realized that actually the last time I felt like a person, the last time I felt like a human being was back when I was 13 and I was actually trying to pursue this guy named Jesus, where I was actually trying to know Jesus more. That was the last time I could think back to when I felt normal, where I felt like I had an identity latched onto someone solid. And it was actually that moment that brought me to the, the critical point in my life where I said, hey, I actually, I want to follow Jesus. I want to pursue Jesus. And uh, I actually met with a pastor here in Pretoria uh, through my cousin, and he prayed for me. And, and afterwards, when I had given my life, you know, come also, I also had that moment where <laughs> I kept telling people I've given my life to the Lord. But that was the last time where I, I actually made the decision to commit to Jesus. And I asked this pastor, his name was Pastor Eugene. I said, Pastor Eugene, does this mean I can go and listen to Eminem again? And he said, you can do that, but I'll see you in my office in three months time again. Because the point wasn't that Eminem is bad for you or anything like that, but it's saying you have to turn away from the one God and turn to the real God. That was the point. And so as we sit here this morning, what I want to ask each and every one of us is, what is the one thing that Christianity or the Bible or God challenges in your life that you're struggling to let go of? What are the areas in your life where you're saying, I don't know if I can submit to Jesus or submit to the Bible and the Bible's authority because it means that I have to let go of X, Y, Z? Maybe, maybe it's money. Or better yet, the love of money. Love, money is not a bad thing. We're hearing how money is, is, is helping the guys in Mama Lodi to, to reach into the lives of people. But the love of money, the Bible tells us that the love of money is the root of all evil. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's our view of money that the Bible really challenges. We're saying, I, I want more of this. And if I pursue Jesus, I feel like I can't do the things I need to do to get more of this. Perhaps it's certain sexual sins. Some of us find our comfort and our security in certain sexual sins. There's so many false idols that we've created in, our, in ourselves and in our world around us where we seek this comfort. 
Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're not fully convinced of God yet. Maybe you're not fully convinced that Jesus is in fact real. And that in itself is a bit of a stumbling block. You're not sure if you can follow this God if you're not convinced of him yet. Well, church, in today's passage, we see a massive tension in the city of Ephesus, where there was a massive riot because of the work that Paul and his team were doing in the city. So just for a little bit of context, the city of Ephesus was very well known around the world for their temple um, to Artemis, the temple of Artemis, who was a goddess within the Greek religion. And here's how, here's how incredible this, this temple was. When I say temple, or at least when I first read it, I pictured probably something similar to like a mosque, like small but really pretty, right? This temple was so amazing that it was considered one of the seven world wonders of the ancient world. That is amazing. It must have been a sight to see for everyone who was around it, for those who were going to it, and even more so for those who built it to this goddess. The fact that this temple was one of the seven world wonders of the ancient world tells me that the people in Ephesus really cared for this goddess. They really believed in her. They really trusted in her. So much so that they were saying, this goddess is so real, we're gonna build a beautiful temple for her where we can come and worship. The people in Ephesus believed in the goddess Artemis. They built shrines to this goddess. A shrine is basically a mini, a mini idol. So if you walked into the temple, there was probably this giant stra- uh, statue or structure of what Artemis would have looked like. And then just outside, there were a bunch of guys um, outside, tradesmen, who would make little shrines. So either wooden replicas or silver replicas. And people would go in there and buy these replicas, these shrines, to put up in their houses, Right? We kind of do something similar. We have crosses in our houses as Christians. We do that. We put our crosses and we get the, um, the, the Jeremiah uh, 29-11 mugs, you know. The, <laughs> we get those and we put them in our houses. But the amazing thing about this temple was that it was actually, it was more than just a temple to the people in Ephesus. The temple was an economic hub. It was a bit of a CBD because imagine it's one of the seven world wonders. So people from around the world are coming to this place. People around Asia who worship Artemis are coming to the temple to worship. The people in Ephesus who worship her are coming to the temple to worship. And then they're going outside to the craftsmen. It's like a bit of a market. And they're going and they're buying things out of love and worship for this, this goddess named Artemis. And so there was a lot of economic activity that was happening in and around this temple. But Paul and his team come along and they begin to rock the boat as they begin preaching the gospel and performing, as Luke puts it, extraordinary things in the name of Jesus. And it disrupts the balance that the city of Ephesus had. And so church, my hope for us this morning and my prayer for us this morning is that as we read through God's word and as we work through today's passage, that we too would be stirred in our own hearts about the idols in our own lives and as well as that, that we would see all that we seek in these false idols, that Jesus fulfills that in every way. Let me pray for us. Father, we want to thank you for your word. We thank you for the historian Luke, Lord, who you worked through to take a historic account of all these events. We thank you, Lord, that we have the privilege to open your word this morning and to study it and to hear what you have to say to us. And Father, I just pray for each of us here this morning. Lord, would you soften our hearts? 
And would you prepare our hearts for what you have to say this morning? Father, I pray that as I speak this morning, that these would not be my words, but that they would be your words, Father. And that your will would be done here this morning. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So church, there's three things that we see in the passage this morning. And I've tried to find a way to make it easy for us to remember. So the first thing is one spirit. One spirit. And the first thing we see in the passage is that there is one spirit still at work. When we look at these miracles, don't they seem quite familiar? In verses 11 to 12, it says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. Doesn't that sound familiar? It sounds familiar because these are similar miracles to what were being done by Jesus himself and by the other apostles in the beginning of Acts and through Acts as they journeyed and preached the gospel. And what we're seeing about this isn't necessarily that the apostles were awesome, but that the same spirit that was, that was working through the apostles in the beginning of Acts is still working through the apostle Paul now. But not only that, the mission that was started by Jesus is the same mission here. It's got the stamp of Jesus on it. The same spirit, this one spirit, is still at work. And Luke is incredibly descriptive in this portion of Scripture. He uses a very strong word right in the beginning. He says, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. These weren't ordinary miracles. Now, I don't quite know what an ordinary miracle would look like. For me today, I'm like, a miracle's a miracle. But these weren't just the things that we saw the sorcerers doing. That's what Luke is saying. What the sorcerers are doing, cool. Paul came along and God was doing extraordinary. He was doing extraordinary things through Paul. And then he goes on to explain how much God was working through Paul. He says, so that in verse 12, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Again, this isn't a testimony of how awesome Paul is. It's how much the spirit is working through Paul that even the clothes that touched him, the presence of the spirit was so heavily in those items even that those were taken to people. This isn't about the apostle Paul. It's about how the spirit and how God is the movement and the force behind what is happening here. Have a look at verse 13 to 16 with me. Some Jews went around driving out evil spirits, tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirits answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Then this became known to the... Sorry, that's, that's, that's where I'm stopping. Apologies. Isn't it... That's quite an interesting scene. When we read that, it, I, I chuckle. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked. Can you imagine witnessing something like that? It's interesting when the evil spirit responds to these guys. He says, Jesus I know and Paul I know about. Interesting that Jesus and Paul are not considered the same. He doesn't say I know Jesus and Paul. He says I know Jesus. 
and Paul I know about. Again, it's Jesus behind what is happening. Paul is just an instrument. This one spirit is still at work. So what was different about Paul as opposed to the Jewish chief priests? The answer is that Paul had a genuine relationship with God. Paul trusted God and he had a faith, a genuine faith in God. That was the difference. These guys were going around and just using the name of Jesus. Anyone can use the name of Jesus. Someone who doesn't know him can go and be like, in the name of Jesus. We see that a lot today in, in a lot of churches. People say that it happens in Africa. It happens everywhere. Where pastors are like, in the name of Jesus. And people fall over and they're like flinging their jackets around. We see that happening. But a lot of us look at them and we think, that's a bit of a weird show. And again, who is it about? It's about prophet or apostle so-and-so. It's not about God and the work that he is doing. It's not just about using the name of Jesus. It's about knowing him, having a genuine faith in him, knowing what he can do, who he is, and what he has done. So church, the first question that we are confronted with this morning as we read this passage isn't, am I using the name of Jesus right? Or am I using the right, the right amount of faith? A lot of us, when we pray and, and we don't get the answers we want, we think that we're not mixing the prayer potions correctly, right? Not enough faith or not enough of the name of Jesus. That isn't the question that we are being confronted with this morning. The question that we are confronted with, and I want us to ask in our own hearts this morning is, in what or in who are we placing our faith? In what or in who are we placing our faith? A lot of us are, are sitting here this morning, we're just saying, man, if I just had a, a bit more success in business, or if I just had a bit more money, or if I could just get my degree, or if I could just always have a full tank of fuel, I would be fine. Life would be good. And yet you speak to the people who have those things, who have succeeded in business, who have lots of money, who have fuel in their tanks, there's still an emptiness. Because those things don't offer us what we're looking for. So I want us to ask in our own hearts this morning, what, in what, or in who are we placing our faith? And the second thing that we see this morning is one goal. So we have one spirit, one goal. Have a look at verse 17 to 20 with me. It says, When this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmi. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. So what exactly happens here? People see this evil spirit give these guys a beating. They run out naked. These were the people who supposedly had some sort of power, who could perform what needed to be performed to exercise spirits out of people. And yet here they just get beat. And yet they're watching Paul, and there's something different about him. There's something about this guy Paul and what he has to offer that seems genuine and seems real. So church, can you see what the goal is? As we look at these verses, can you see what the goal is? 
The answer lies in verse 20. It says, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. That's the goal. The goal is that the name of the Lord Jesus would be held in high honor and that the word of the Lord would spread widely and grow in power. So I want to ask us as a church, why do we do what we do? As Christians, why do we do what we do? Why do we meet on a Sunday? Why do we make sure that the coffee is good? Why do we have church events like church in the park and and breakaways, fun things that we can go to and enjoy? I think back to when I was in youth ministry. Youth ministry is a bribery game. It's how can we entice young people with fun things? We get the latest PlayStation and we get the nicest TV and we put on the best events. We used to have talent shows and, and all sorts of fun things, movie nights. Why do we do that? I was having a chat with a friend of mine this week who recently took over a bit of like a a rehab group or an addiction recovery group in his church. And I just asked him, I said, bro, what what is the goal behind what you're doing? What is the goal? Because if the goal is just to see people rehabilitated and and break away from their addiction, I'm not sure that we're, we're we're hitting the nail on the head then because then we might as well just send people off to a proper rehab center. The goal and why we do these things as a church is that the word of God would spread, that the name of Jesus would be held in high honor. Why do we do the tutoring mamalodi? It's not because we're nice people and we want to help people out. That's part of it. But why do we do it? Why did Sithle start it? Kamo said it started because Sithle wanted to disciple the young ladies. That was the primary goal, and that should be our primary goal. The one goal that we have as a church is not to just do fun things because they're nice, not to just reach out into our city and help because it's nice. We want to see the word of God spread and the name of Jesus be held in high honor. That is why we do what we do. That is the goal of what we do. Our sole purpose is to ensure that the word of God spreads widely. The current series that we're doing, Acts Volume 3, is to the ends of the earth. Because we're watching how the apostles and how the Spirit was working through the apostles to ensure that the name of Jesus was taken to the ends of the earth. But it doesn't end with them. The baton was passed on from generation to generation to generation until we found ourselves here at Red Door Church saying, we want to see the name of Jesus held in high honor. In the city of Pretoria, in the province of Gauteng, and in the nation of South Africa. That is our goal. That is our mission. Paul's goal was not to make his name great. He could have. Think about the money Paul could have made off this. He could have sold parts of his clothing for people to have healing. He could have. He could have made a fortune. But he doesn't because it's not about Paul's name because there's no power in Paul's name because Paul is just as broken as the rest of the people he's helping. It's about the name of Jesus because it's through that name that people are freed, that people are saved. Our goal is to see the name of Jesus Jesus taken to the ends of the earth. And finally, the last thing that we see is one God. One God. We're not going to read through verse 23 to 41 because there's a lot that happens there. But it's a commotion. In these verses, we see a character who is brought into the story named Demetrius, who was a silversmith. 
And he calls a meeting with the other businessmen in the area, the guys who are doing business outside the temple. Those who were in businesses related to what he does, they built shrines. And he begins to stir the people up. But what were his motives for stirring the people up? Have a look at verse 24 to 27. It says, A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together, along with the workers in related trades, and said, You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear about this fellow Paul has sorry, and you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is a danger, not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. So what are his motives? We see, we see two motives. The first motive is himself and his business, right? That's, that's the concern that he brings up, and it's the concern that he brings up amongst those guys. Guys, this is going to affect our business. What this guy Paul is doing is going to mess with our business because people are not worshipping Artemis anymore. They're, they're worshipping Jesus, and he doesn't need a shrine. And his second motive, and he kind of, I feel like he coats the first motive with this one to make himself feel a little bit better, is he coats it with the fact that Artemis will be robbed of her divine majesty. She'll be robbed of her divine majesty because people are not turning to Artemis anymore. They're turning to, to Jesus. And Paul and his team are pointing people to this guy named Jesus, and that's not okay because it means that the businesses around the temple are going to collapse and we don't want Artemis to lose her name because it's our business. I find it incredibly interesting how we see in these verses their concern is that the goddess Artemis might lose her divine majesty. And yet in verse 13 to 15, we see that Jesus retains his divine majesty no matter what other people are doing. No matter what the people are doing with his name, his divine majesty is not challenged. There's a big comparison there between this God Jesus and this goddess Artemis. Her divine majesty relies so much on the people of Ephesus. Whereas Jesus, doesn't matter what people are doing, the demons know him. And those who believe, believe because he is God. And his majesty, and his divine majesty is there no matter what the people are doing. There is only one true God. Luke points out how these guys had nothing on Paul and, and Gaius and Aristarchus. They had nothing on them. They were upset because of personal reasons. He even points out that a lot of the crowd actually had no idea why they were there. Have a look at verse 32. It says, The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some were shouting another. Most of the people did not know why they were even there. There was no factual reason, reason for them to pull these guys aside. 
And it's so funny because in defense of the goddess Artemis, they put a guy named Alexander up there, and then they realize he's a Jew, and the Jews also don't advocate for false idols. And so for two hours they scream, great is Artemis. There was no factual reason for them to pull these guys out and to have them dealt with. They were performing these miracles and the offensive thing about the miracles and about the gospel wasn't that they were offending or messing with the goddess called Artemis, but rather, ultimately, they were threatening the God of self. They were threatening the God of self, my business, my business's reputation, my reputation. A lot of people find their identity in the work that they do, but now the work that he's doing is gonna be taken away because people are no longer following Artemis, they're following Jesus. There's two gods at play. We see the, 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 the false god, or the false goddess, Artemis, and then there's the god of self. And there's this constant tension, and that's why people are in confusion. Why are we even here? We're just angry at the gospel because it confronts us. There is only one God, but we try and find all these other little gods that provide us with a false sense of comfort, a false sense of security, and a false sense of identity. Just like I tried to find that in Eminem, and that's why I say the problem isn't Eminem as a person. The problem was me trying to seek these things in something or someone that is just as broken as me. And we try and find all these things in these false gods that we create, these false gods that we place on a pedestal. But there is a God, church, who sits unchallenged and unseated by any other God to this day. Our call to worship, we read Isaiah 43, verse 10. It says, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I've chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall, there, nor shall there be any after me. You see, church, God will continue to challenge us and our sinfulness. We're no different to these guys that we're seeing in Ephesus. We're no, we're no different to Demetrius and, and the gang. Because we too fight God when he calls us to trust him and to trust in him, and to place our trust in him, to place our faith in him, we too say, actually, there's all these other things that I prefer because they offer me the sense of purpose and identity and comfort and security. That's where I find it. God, if I just had a bit more money, if I just had a bit more popularity, if I just had a little more of X, Y, Z, then I'll be happy. Then I'll feel like me. But we go down this, this empty hole, seeking these things, in things that don't offer us a true sense of whatever it is that we're looking for. Day in and day out, we choose ourselves and our preferences over God. Think about the things that hold us captive. Think about the idols in our own lives. Think about the thing that came to mind in the beginning when I asked, what is the thing that God is confronting what is the thing that Christianity calls you to let go of that you just, you just struggle to let go of? What joy do these things bring us? 
What comfort do they bring us? Nothing. But church, here, here's the good news. This is, this is the great news. Jesus offers us freedom completely. He offers us a freedom that is not dependent on us or on anything or on anyone else. He offers us a freedom that is found in him and in him only. Last week, Rain preached to us about how Jesus is the way. Jesus tells us that he is the way. There is no other way. He is the way. And it amazes me that he loved us so much that he knew that these false idols that we create would, would run us into the ground. But he offers himself. And he says, I can give you all that and so much more if you just come to me and trust in me. That is good news. All of a sudden, the pressure is not on us and our success and how hard we work and how much money we earn. It's not on someone else who we idolize and we think can help us out of our problems. It's on someone who has defeated death and risen again. The trust is in someone who has power over all things, all illness, all evil spirits, so much so that even the spirits say they know him. So church, this morning, we can choose to respond to this God, to this one God, this Jesus, the way that the people did earlier on in the passage, with total surrender and total repentance. Do you know what a sacrifice it was for them to burn those scrolls? I read a commentary, and I don't really like doing these, these to-this-day conversions, but I read a commentary where they said roughly, 50,000 drachmi, which is the total value of the scrolls that were burnt, equates to about 6 million US dollars. And I'm not saying that that's what it did cost, but what I'm saying is clearly it's a lot. They could have just chosen to sell it and make some money off it, but they didn't because they didn't want others to pursue this. They're saying, we don't want it and we don't want others to have it, we're burning it. They repented, they turned away from the false god they turned away from themselves and said, we choose this Jesus because he is real. So real that the demons know his name. So we can choose to respond that way or we can choose to respond like Demetrius and the rest of the crowd who couldn't see past their idols, who couldn't see past Artemis, the false god Artemis, and how anything that she needed to be great had to be formed by human hands. They couldn't see past their businesses. They couldn't see past their pride. They couldn't see past those things and just see to the other side the pot of gold that was being offered, this freedom and identity found in the true God, Jesus. So church, as I close I want to encourage us in this. We have this good news. We have this amazing thing that sets us free from all kinds of captivity. We're no longer captives to, to who am I as a person? What is my identity? Because I know my identity is found in the one who made me, and that is Jesus. I no longer worry about comfort because my comfort is found in the security of eternity. It doesn't matter how high the fuel costs go because eventually I'm going to die and Job says it, right? Naked I came and naked I shall depart. 
doesn't matter what the fuel prices do because I know when I leave here, I'm going into paradise. That is the comfort and the assurance that we find in this gospel. We no longer have to seek security and comfort in the things of this world that we have made. We can find it in him who made us. And we have this, this good news, this news that sets us free. Does the world not deserve to know? Does the world not need to know? In Romans 10 verse 14 it says, How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And church, I'm not saying let's go get crates and stand on on street corners and preach the gospel. I'm saying let's live the gospel. Let's live the gospel. When we go into work in the week, when we're in the offices, let's be different. Let's be lights in the world. For so long, the church and Christians have been accused of being hypocrites because we, we preach one way and we live another. Let's live the gospel. Let's live like people who are free in Jesus. We have this free message, what we call the gospel, this good news. This message the world needs to hear. And none of what we are doing matters if it's not for the sake of the word spreading to the, to the ends of the earth. None of what we're doing matters if it's not for the sake of this one name, the name of Jesus, spreading to the ends of the earth. And what these guys in Acts didn't realize as they fought for their wealth and for their freedom in this story is that they were fighting the very thing that would give them everlasting wealth. Not physical, but wealth in every area that they, they would desire. And everlasting freedom and everlasting life. Church, let's take this good news. Let's take this one name to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all the good things that you've created. We thank you, Lord, that we can enjoy them. And Lord, we thank you for the people that we see out there with amazing talents and gifts who inspire us in so many ways. We thank you, Lord, that you created them. But Father, we pray that in all these things that you have created, that we would not place our trust and our hope in those things. That we would place our trust and our hope in you. Father, I pray that our goal and our mission would be to see the name of Jesus lifted in high honor in our city and in our homes in our schools. Father, we pray as a church that you would help us as Red Door to be city loving, not for the sake of the name of Red Door, but for the sake of the name of Jesus. And Father, we pray for our city that is riddled with false idols. Lord, that you would turn people to you. That people would turn and trust in you. Because it's only in you that we find our peace and our joy and our comfort and our identity and our security, our eternal security. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.